0: Welcome to Disaffected, I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. This week, we're gonna talk about how Michelle Obama was oppressed on account of having black hair, how Elon Musk is kneeling to woke, and he now pledges to de-boost hate and negative speech, new boss the same as old boss, Why Tennessee's new bill banning sexualized drag performances in front of children does not discriminate against drag queens and does not discriminate against gay people. And we're going to take a deep look at Radical House Representative Pramila Jayapal and her plans to make it illegal for schools to give girls private locker rooms that boys can't go into, her plan to make it illegal to protect children from being surgically maimed. And she's doing it with straight up, right out of the can, old-fashioned Marxism that takes direct aim at constitutional rights. First, though, a little bit of housekeeping. I made a couple of mistakes on last week's show. Uh, first one was about Michael Schellenberger. I said that he was a climate scientist. I was mistaken. He's not. He is a writer. Um, and also, I said that we were in the worst recession since the Great Depression. I misspoke. I meant to say the word inflation. I do know the difference. Thank you, everybody, uh, for pointing those out and keeping me accurate. I do appreciate it. So let's talk about Michelle Obama's hair because she wants us to. <laughs> Take a look at this. This is a, a screenshot of the New York Post's headline on Twitter. Michelle Obama says, Americans weren't ready for my natural hair. hair. I don't think we're ready for this jelly. I don't think we're ready for this jelly. (laughs) Give me a break. Give me a break. Michelle, that never happened. Nobody wasn't ready for your natural hair. Again, it's 2022. Everybody, the year that we live in right now is 2022. It is not true. That black girls are discriminated against for having hair styles that white people don't like. And the only reason they don't like them is because they're not white people styles. That's not real. If anybody said anything to Michelle Obama about America not being ready for her black hair or her jelly, I'm willing to bet that it was other woke black women. And that's all. Because this is entirely confected. It's completely made up. She also claims that her staffers were, quote, worried when I was talking about getting braids. Worried. They were worried. Again, a bunch of woke women creating a problem so that they would then have this story to talk about. That's what this is about. What bothers me about this conversation is not only is it ridiculous and and it's not true, it's... We're supposed to get an implication from this, and the implication that we're supposed to get is white people discriminate against black women's hairstyles simply and only because a black woman likes it. It's black, and so therefore white people hate it. And we are also supposed to believe that white people are constantly telling black women that any style that they have that white women don't like is, quote, unprofessional. This is not happening. Again, confected, not real. A lot of the people who complain that my hairstyle was called unprofessional are complaining because the hairstyle they want to wear is in fact unprofessional. No, not because it's black. Black is not a synonym for unprofessional. Unprofessional because it's a youth look, a casual look, or frankly, sometimes a street youth look. That's just the truth. And we can quibble over which ones fall into which category and which ones don't, but it just isn't true that black hair discrimination is a real issue facing black women in the workforce and that anybody gave a shit about Michelle Obama's black hair. Nonsense. You see the same narcissism, and this is narcissism. It's what it is. You see the same thing with grown up people, black men who wear huge obvious afros, Colin Kaepernick, Cornell West. A little bit less extreme with Cornell, but the same thing. These are look at me hairstyles. That's all they are. It's not that they're natural. It's not that, well, this is just how my people wear their hair. It's look at me and look at me the wrong way so I can say you discriminated against me. So bye, Michelle. You're done. <laughs> let's look at some, let's look at some narcissism from, uh, Someone (laughs) was going to say natural hair, but I don't know how natural this pink puff on the top of her head is. This is a clip, very short clip from a funeral, and the woman speaking is the deceased man's daughter. So this is his daughter at her father's funeral. Um, The audio is a little bit difficult. I will be pulling out some quotes and repeating them for you afterwards if you can't hear it. Can we listen to that please, Kevin? Kevin.
1: But please know that while I am grateful and highly aware of all that you give in this family, I still don't miss you.
0: When you died, I felt
1: like there was a hole. I missed something, but it wasn't you. It was the idea of what you could become. I miss being able to hope and wish that one day you turn a corner and see the world from my perspective. I missed the idea that one day you might help me fight for the things that matter. I missed my fantasy of you. Because when you died, it solidified the fact that you'll never be what you could have been, but only what you are and what you are is a racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, Trump-loving, cis white man. That is all you will ever be to me. And dad, before you tell me to respect the dead, please remember that you disrespected and disregarded the lives and deaths of entire communities of people with your ideology. You told me to never back down, so I won't. You know for a fact that even against you, I'm not afraid to share my peace. You are everything I aspire not to be, and I refuse to stand up here and sing the praises of a man who is the paradigm of white supremacy. So I'll take your racist mindset, I'll take your money, and I'll take your advice. And I swear to God, I will make this world a better place. Not at all because of you, but in exact opposition to you.
0: Thank you. You clapping? Audience, you clapping? That's a new thing too, that's new normal. We clap at funerals, because funerals are a performance now. No, we don't. Vulgar. So those people clapping. Stay with me. Okay. If you've got feelings about this, and I know you do, stay with me. I'm going to take a charitable and a less charitable approach. We're going to cover all the bases with this one. Let's talk about a few of the specifics of what she said. Quote, because when you died, it solidified the fact that you'll never be what you could have been, but only what you are. And what you are is a racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, Trump-loving, cis-straight white man and a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. Bingo! Ching! If you got the reference, leave a comment underneath. Well, you know what I think you are, young lady? I think you are a racist, misanthropic, narcissistic, self-loving, entitled, arrogant girl with an attitude. She also said, And Dad, before you tell me to respect the dead, please remember that you disregarded and disrespected... The lives of an entire community of people with your ideology. Really? <laughs> you see how what this is about, right? We're not allowed to politically disagree anymore. Simply disagreeing, not having the same emotions and the same thoughts as the person next to you is an act of disrespect. This is the language of abusers and narcissists. And um, I don't know what this girl's name is, but I didn't have time to put this into the script, but... I saw an article in one of the tabloids this morning. I suspect that this is true, but I can't confirm that it's true, that this is a girl whose father was a billionaire, a businessman billionaire, and that she lives in a $7 million mansion. Um, If that's the case, it makes it even richer. Another piece of advice for speaking at funerals um, to this girl here, you're a terrible public speaker. We're, oh, we're going to get to the content and what's wrong with it. But just just your manner of speaking, you're terrible. Slow down and stop trying to project black girl magic and, and uh, slam poetry. Okay, sweetie? Try pacing, cadence, and prosody. Oh. oh, you don't know what those are? Of course you don't. Look them up. So I'll take your racist money, she says. Well, isn't that blood money, honey? Isn't that blood money? You shouldn't do that, right? Shouldn't take that blood money, should you? Because he's been disrespecting an entire community. Your father, who we are supposed to believe, clearly hates you because you're half black. He hates you because you're half black. And he hated your mother, who is black. That's why he married her. Right. (laughs) Matt Walsh talked about this. and I have some things to say about um, Matt Walsh's analysis of a few things on this week's show. He talked about this, and I think he's largely right in, in talking about this as, as narcissism and, a, and a, a gross display. But in my—and I listen to Matt Walsh. I agree with probably 85 percent of what he says. I really like him. I like him as a commentator. But there's a frequent mistake that he makes, and it's a mistake that a lot of people make when talking about people like this. Um, he did acknowledge that perhaps this girl's father was abusive— Um, or, or that, uh, that it's understandable if one had abusive parents, we wouldn't expect them to go to a funeral and praise them. We wouldn't expect them to do this either, but we certainly wouldn't expect them to lie and say, this was a wonderful person. But he then said, but, but that's not the case with this girl. She's just a narcissist. Here's the charitable take. How does, how does he know? He doesn't know. Nobody knows that. This is my guess, and I don't know either, but I think my guess is I think my guess is better than Matt's because I don't think he understands this. I bet her parents did screw her up. I don't know whether they were physically abusive, emotionally abusive, but I'm willing to. The the balance of likelihood is that, yes, there was some neglect and or abuse. And as a reminder to everybody, the word abuse is not a synonym for physical beating. Every time I say abuse, I'm not trying to say that somebody physically hit or raped somebody else. Emotional abuse is abuse as well. Neglect is a form of abuse. Why do I think that? Because normal range people don't generally act like this. Sometimes, yeah. But to go to the extreme of, of this kind of diatribe at a funeral, No. That's not something that normal range people who don't have trauma usually do. Sure, some do, but usually they don't. Like so many other people, I think Matt Walsh thinks that it's either, it's either you were abused or you're a narcissist. And that's one of those examples of not even wrong. It's so off base that it's not even wrong. This is not an either or a question. It's not, you're abused or you're a narcissist. Um, They seem to believe that perfectly normal range people with no trauma can be instantly brainwashed by this modern cult and turned into someone who talks and acts exactly like this kid that we just listened to. And I don't think so. I think the people who are as sucked in as this girl is to the level that this girl is probably were traumatized. There's probably some really dysfunctional family relations that went on there. And many of them, yes, are in fact narcissists as a result of those dysfunctional family dynamics. Narcissism is the result of neglect or abuse. It's an insecurity. It's a deep insecurity and a deeply disordered attachment to the primary people in your life. It looks like having a too big ego on the surface, and and on the surface it is having a too big ego, but it's actually not having any real ego strength at all. Brittle and empty, void in there. That's where the overcompensation comes from. And I'm I'm really with Matt and with people like Matt Walsh who don't tolerate this for a second, regardless of where it came from. What I'm offering here is an example of something I say off, uh, frequently. This is an explanation, a possible explanation, not an excuse. Explanations are not moral excuses. I'm not offering this as an excuse. I'm offering a mechanical explanation for understanding, not getting somebody off the hook. If we really want to understand why people behave this way, how they come to be this way, we have to, it, we have to get past this facile yes or no black and white thinking about this. Nuh-uh, nuh-uh she wasn't abused. She's just a narcissist. Or, nuh-uh, uh she wasn't abused. She's just crazy. Uh, <laughs> what is that, What does that mean? Just crazy. Just a narcissist. There's... We seem to want, we want it to be the case that there are a whole bunch of people walking around out there who do things for no reason at all. And this, this I, I didn't even note this down when I was thinking about how to talk about this. It just occurred to me. We really seem to want that. I'm thinking out loud here. So throw your thoughts into the comments too if, if, if you want to challenge this. Why do we want that? Why do we want it to be true that Well, some people are just that way. It's like we're pushing away any possible explanation. It's doing something for us, but I'm not sure what it's doing for us. It isn't true, but it's serving some emotional need we have. Um, And I thought about this in relationship to what's going to happen when my mother dies, for example. Um, And the question that listeners might be asking is, well, what will you do? Would you do something like this? No, no, I wouldn't. Not in a million years. We three children, my brother and sister and I, we have as strong a moral claim as I think it's possible for a child, a grown child to have, to tell the truth exactly as dirty and nasty as it it happened. We have that moral right. We've earned it unfortunately, by being exploited and mistreated by our mother. That's why I talk about this on the show. And I'm not nice like Christina Crawford. I didn't wait for my mother to die. I think that pisses some people off, too. Um, she earned it. But you know who didn't earn that kind of diatribe? Other people who would be at her funeral. Other people who were at this, this woman's father's funeral. Everybody isn't the child of the deceased. Everybody isn't the abused spouse of the deceased. People have different relationships and different emotional connections to the people, to the deceased person. There are people who are going to be at a funeral who have no idea what went on in the family home, who have never experienced this man this way, maybe didn't experience my mother in any way like, uh, like her children experienced them. Why would they deserve to hear this? What would be the purpose of that? It would be wrong. It would be actually, and it, I feel like using this word is overagging it a little bit. So if you can dial back the dramatic implication a little bit, it's almost like a, an emotional assault on, on other people. It's, it's really stepping over a boundary to do something like this. What would I do? Well, if somebody else were organizing the funeral, I probably just wouldn't go. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do when that time comes. I've talked to my sister about this, I and I know that a lot of other other people out there who have parents like I did think about this too. What am I going to do when they die? I can think of several possibilities. I might – I might – want nothing to do with it. I might say I'm not taking any responsibility for the burial. I'm not taking any responsibility for the funeral. I'm not taking any responsibility for the possessions. I'm not cleaning out any houses. I walk away and wash my hands of it. I could also imagine that I might say, I feel a need to close this book. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is by taking responsibility for the burial and the arrangements. I can see being conflicted about it. The only thing I don't know anything for certain about what's going to happen, but what, except this, whatever will happen will reveal itself to me when it happens. I'm expecting that my emotions will be confusing. They might be conflicted and that I won't know what to do. So I'm not making any plans. I'm just going to be open to whatever happens when it happens. Um, To be as charitable as possible to a young woman like this, she may grow over the years and she may grow to regret this she may shed this prepackaged oppression identity that she has i hope for her that she comes to understand how the family trauma that i suspect happened how it happened why it happened i hope she gets to a point where she sa- where she looks back on this and says i'd never do that again so I guess I'm saying I, I found this incredibly distasteful. I found it very distasteful that people clapped about it too. But I can also understand it. I can see myself doing something like that maybe if 20 years ago. And, and maybe, maybe if I hadn't found another outlet, this show, my writing, talking about what happened in our family and trying to make sense of it not only for myself but for everybody else out there who's come from a Cluster B family, perhaps if I hadn't found that outlet, I'd be more prone to acting out in this way. I, I could see myself doing this at age 25 but certainly not at age 48. So I hope for that, for her. Um, very, very quickly, because I took longer on that than I thought I was going to, um, Elon Musk in Twitter Here's another example You may all say, Josh, you were right and I should never have called you too cynical First of all, three weeks after I appealed the last banning of our show account finally Twitter got back to me and I don't. I'm paraphrasing here, but they said, "Yes, we re-examined your account. We made the decision right the first time. Yes, you are dangerous. Yes, you do engage in hateful conduct. Yes, we mean to say that your words target people from protected communities and that we consider you dangerous." It's absolutely ridiculous. There isn't a person on the face of the earth who's an honest person, whether they they happen to like the way I did Twitter or not, who actually thinks I'm dangerous. We know that's nonsense. So, um, woke does own Twitter. And woke owns Elon too. Why? Why do I say that? Let's take a look at one of his latest tweets. "Quote, and I'm sorry, Elon. I like you on some things, but today you're getting the voice because you deserve it." Here's Elon Musk. New Twitter policy is freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. Negative hate tweets will be max deboosted and demonetized, so no ads or other revenue to Twitter. You won't find the tweet unless you specifically seek it out, which is no different from restive internet. Who decides what a negative or hate tweet is? <laughs> a negative tweet. Negative tweets. If you're not positive enough, we're going to shadow. What he's doing is shadow banning. Yeah, that's what he's doing. So um, welcome to it. And um, if you want to tell me that I was right, you know where to find me. All right. We're going to take a break here, but you need to get into our Discord community. Discord, online chat rooms. That's what it means. We've got channels for everything, and the conversation just gets better and better every week. We recorded a couple of audio podcasts this week with actual audience members and listeners uh, because we want to do more of that. We want to have conversations with, with real people instead of just um, having prominent people on when we have guests. A couple of ways to do it. We don't ask much, but we do ask for your financial support for the show um, in order to get the privilege of Discord. $5 a month at a minimum, go to patreon.com disaffected or subscribestar.com disaffected or for one-off donations, open PayPal and send a donation to us at disaffected.fm. We'll see you on the other side. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today. Welcome back. We're going to stay on the topic of Matt Walsh um, because he's doing some good stuff. But I also, I've defended him, and I'm going to defend him again, but this is going to give me an opportunity to talk about some of the ways that I agree and disagree with people that a few years ago I would have considered to be my opponents on on basically every front, and Matt Walsh is one of those people. So I listen to Matt Walsh's show almost every day, almost five days a week. And like I said, I agree with about 85 or 90% of what he says, but I don't agree with the what I perceive as the extremity of his views on marriage law. He talks a lot about what the purpose of marriage is and he calls it the procreative union. The purpose of marriage is to bring children forth into the world. And he says, therefore our secular government, our secular laws, he doesn't use the word secular. Um, That's one of the things I think he should think about a little bit more. Uh, Therefore, then, our secular laws should encourage that particular privileging of marriage as the foundation of the procreative union. I think he goes a little too far on that. And And I also understand Matt Walsh believes, and I believe he's correct, he believes that people with traditional values and, and frankly, people who, who just have sane common sense are pushed so far up against the wall, that I'm guessing he is willing to give no quarter at all. It's like a negotiation for salary. Even though you know you're not going to get $250,000, you're probably going to get $175. You push for the $250 right out of the gate. You don't start lower. You don't cut off your own toes uh, just because somebody else is probably going to cut them off for you. So there may be some of that there. But you know, he doesn't. He doesn't like gay marriage, um, and there are reasons that I don't like. Calling it gay marriage, and I don't like some of the things that have gone along with it, but we've got to part ways, Matt Walsh and I, on this. He seems to have a hard time wrapping his mind around the idea that all adults ought to have the basic right to form economic unions, next of kin unions, contractual relationships of their own choice. They should have the right to legally designate another person whom they trust to have control of their money, to make medical decisions for them when they can't speak, to have funeral arrangements saying, yes, yes, I do know all these things. As a reminder, my professional work for 20 years has been helping consumers plan funerals. I'm well aware of what the laws are. I know what advanced directives are, all of these other things. That's already been accounted for. I'm not missing them. But that's not how it works in the real world. Let me tell you how it works in the real world for gay people or, or the way it worked before gay marriage came along. I had um, I had friends Michael and Tim. They're both deceased now. Um, Michael died in 2010, and Tim died uh, about four years ago. They were married. I believe they got they got I don't remember which state they went to, but they got they got married in one state. They got civil unioned in another state. Obviously, neither um, you know the marriage. Michael didn't live long enough to see gay marriage come up. But they had been married. But of course, because they were only married in one state, no other state had to recognize that. So what ended up happening was Michael died. And Tim was on the phone with me immediately. I mean, actually, I was I had gone down there. I saw Michael a couple of days before he died. Um, but then when I when I had to go back uh, because I had work, Tim was talking to me. He was worried about paying the bills and he was afraid. Tim was. He was afraid to use Michael's bank card the way he did every single day. They shared a household. Their their money was pooled, But he was afraid to use Michael's bank card because technically under the law, Tim wasn't the next of kin in every state. And technically under the law, Michael's very aged parents were the next of kin. Tim was afraid of getting in trouble for accessing the money. Listen to me. I just said accessing for getting to the money that really was their pooled money. Because he wasn't recognized as being the legal next of kin. That's just a small story. There have been, I've seen much, much worse. I have seen, not just heard other people talk about, I have been involved professionally trying to help gay couples where the family, the actual blood kin of one of the partners didn't speak to their son for 20 or 30 years because he was a dirty, filthy homosexual wouldn't speak to him at all. Didn't have him home for Christmas. As soon as he died, they showed up and took his body, deliberately to spite the gay partner. It wasn't just you know we want you know we want to share in this. They they took delight in in making taking the corpse away and making it hurt. They wanted to hurt, and they had the legal right to hurt, and they did. This happened. It happened a lot. That's not right. So, so far as gay marriage goes, we can talk about whether that was a good idea to call it marriage. Uh, I've got some mixed feelings about that. And as much as I appreciate Matt Walsh as a conservative, and I share many of his conservative views these days, if it comes down to a point where there's a right wing backlash, and people like Matt Walsh are out there trying to get rid of, let's say they, let's say they get rid of gay marriage. I'd be okay with something called civil unions as long as it, it carried all of those uh, legal rights to sharing money, next to kin status, all those things. I'd be okay with that because I think one of the ways that we gay people overreached was we wanted, we didn't just want equal rights, we wanted equal social praise and we tried to force it through the law. But I think that people on the conservative Christian right like Matt Walsh I think they believe they are entitled to excessive cultural deference. I think they believe they are entitled to be culturally privileged above what they are actually entitled to. So if he wants to go that far, if they want to go that far and they want to take away not only the word marriage, but the civil unions, I'm not going to be sitting here praising Matt Walsh. I'm going to be fighting him. He's going to be my enemy. This is what being a political independent means to me. We're not going to agree on every single thing. And there are some things that are real deal breakers. That'll be a deal breaker for me. I won't be, I won't be on, yeah, yeah, Matt Walsh, we'll be fighting. So, um, but let's, let's, let's talk about um, another Matt Walsh effort. Why? Because he's doing some of the, he's doing some of the very necessary things that no one else in this culture who has a public platform is doing. That's why I'm talking about him. There's a bill in Tennessee that will ban Certain kinds of provocative drag shows performed in front of children when they are done outside of an adult entertainment venue. And, of course, the left is freaking out and calling this a ban on drag, a ban on gay people. It is none of these things. This is Tennessee. Um, I don't know how heavily involved Matt has been. I don't know if he contributed to drafting this at all, but I know that this is an effort he has been involved with. Uh, let's, let's actually read the law. Let's, let's you and I do something that the left doesn't do these days. Let's actually read the source material we're critiquing. This is the only way to understand laws is to read them. You can't parse them and understand them until you read them. So Senate Bill 3, we've got a couple of graphics here. It's a very short bill, first one is definitions. Quote, adult cabaret performance means a performance in a location other than an adult cabaret that features topless dancers, go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, male or female impersonators who provide entertainment that appeals to a prurient interest, or similar entertainers regardless of whether or not performed for consideration. For consideration is legislative speak for for money. Legislators stop it. Stop with the twee language. Use plain English. Stop saying for consideration. Make this stuff readable by the average person. So this is not targeting only dry queens. It's targeting go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, basically all the euphemisms, right? So we get everybody in there. And here's the next part. Here's the part that does the banning. Quote, Tennessee, annot- uh, Tennessee Code annotated section 7-51-1407 is amended by adding the following language as a new subsection. One. It is an offense for a person to engage in an adult cabaret performance on public property or in a location where the adult cabaret performance could be viewed by a person who is not an adult. So let's, let's put this into very plain, straightforward English. This means that if you are a stripper or a male in, or female impersonator. And not just that, remember, remember the qualifier that appeals to a prurient interest, right? It's not, oh, they're banning drag queens. No, they're banning drag queens who perform shows outside of adult cabarets who appeal to a prurient interest. You can't, the, the left is trying to get rid of that qualifier. Don't let them get rid of it because that's the actual text of the law. Um, this is not a ban on drag. It's not targeting drag queens. It's not going to make it illegal for men to wear women's clothes. It's not. It's targeting performances viewed by children in places that children are going to be. so it doesn't say that you can't do this. What it does is it it, it restricts this kind of performance to what is euphemistically called a gentleman's club. <laughs> And if you've ever found a gentleman in one of those gentlemen's clubs, let me know because I never have. (laughs) Yes, I used to be an exotic dancer. Not really. Uh, Can you imagine? (laughs) Yes, it does ban drag that is actually sexualized stripping in front of children in public. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? I'm waiting. I know, love knows no age, right? <laughs> this is just like the so called don't say gay bill in Florida that the entire left was saying, they won't even let you say the word gay. If you say the word gay in school, you're breaking the law. No, no. That wasn't true, and it's not true that this is banning drag queens either. As a reminder, the don't say gay bill in Florida didn't ban the word gay, didn't even have the word gay in it. It only banned instruction by teachers, instruction in sexuality and gender identity, kindergarten through the third grade. That's all it did. What's your problem with that? Hmm? (laughs) There is a potential problem with this law, but it it is a problem that almost all laws share. But let's acknowledge it it's the term prurient interest. That's open to interpretation. Yes, correct. If that's your criticism, I'm with you. I was with you when I was writing the script last night. Um, yes, you, we will have to risk that someone will interpret that so broadly that anyone who doesn't wear what they believe is the right clothes and doesn't perform exactly the right way is caught up in, in an allegation that they violated this law. That is going to happen. Yep, going to happen. Yes, it will have to be litigated in court to establish the boundaries. This is normal. This is what happens with laws all the time. Case law interprets laws. This is normal. You can't write laws that this won't happen to. All of them go through this process. Guess what? Um, this is also the case with laws and bills that, that, that even if you disagree with this, that you would support there's going to be different interpretations. And yeah, if you don't like this bill, you're going to have to put up with seeing it badly applied and misapplied. You're going to see some examples of what you consider injustice, and I might even agree with you. That's part of the cost. We've got to play this game in order to get to the other side. But the liberal answer to this is, well, if we can't write a specific law that, that makes sure that no one is ever unfairly targeted, uh, then we'll have no law at all. No, that's not realistic. You know, again, people like Matt, Matt Walsh says this. he says, for hard left liberals, the most cherished freedom is sexual libertinism, sexual hedonism. It is far more important to them than kids well-being, and he is right. and I I wouldn't I wouldn't restrict that to the far left. I think that's most of the left these days. if it if it hints at restricting anyone's sexual expression no matter what the context is, That is such an emotional trigger for the left that they lose their minds and people who would ordinarily value protecting kids all of a sudden can't value that anymore because some drag queen somewhere might be inconvenienced or some gay person might not feel affirmed. Give me a break. No, your sexual freedom is not more important than children. It's not, it's not public decency matters more. Children matter more. Do you really, truly think it's actually worse morally to unfairly target a drag performer than it is to let the situation that we are now in continue where children are exposed to what they call drag queens but what what are actually really just female impersonator whores? Yeah, I mean the word whore because most of them are prostitutes and drug dealers. Some of them have been convicted of child porn. You're not getting the cream of the crop here. This is not the same set of queens that I used to look at in bars 30 years ago. I mean, there's still still a heavy criminal and drug element there. This is straight up pedophiles these days, just straight up. That matters more. A little bit closer to home here in Vermont. This is what happens when sexual freedom matters more than anything. Recently, Randolph High School in Vermont punished 10 girls on the volleyball team. And it punished them by banning those 10 girls from using the girls' locker room. Why did it do that? Because the girls complained that a boy, which the media insists on calling a transgender girl, a boy was in the locker room because he's a trans girl. And so he plays on the girls' volleyball teams. Of course, he used the girls' locker room. They claim, these girls do, that he was ogling them when they changed. Um, And I believe them. But even if that didn't happen, it doesn't matter. His mere presence in the room with naked girls in a state of undress is a violation in and of itself, whether he ogled them or not. Whether he ogled them or not. So the school punished the girls by barring the girls from using the girls' locker room. And, and you might be asking, what exactly did they punish them for? What did the girls do that broke a rule? They punish them for complaining and saying it wasn't fair. Yes, literally. They punished them for not having the correct emotions about this and for having the temerity to vocalize their emotions. Sounds so very familiar. Extremely cluster B move on the school's part. I remember getting slapped and having my mouth washed out with soap for daring to complain that my mother was being unfair or dishonest about anything. And that's exactly what the what this school is doing. Here's... Uh, Here's some quotes from an article in the publication The New American. Um, Quote, At issue, the school's determination to force its transgender policies upon a 14-year-old girl and her father. For daring to question those policies, i.e. complaining when a male who declared himself to be a female entered the girls' locker rooms to observe them undressing, school officials demanded that the student, Blake Allen, this is a girl, Blake Allen, Take part in a restorative circle to help her understand the rights of transgender students to access public accommodation in a manner consistent with their self-proclaimed gender identity. Cult much? Restorative circle? Restorative circle? This is the iron hand wrapped in a feminine lace glove, just like everything is these days. This is what Johnny Depp's expert witness psychiatrist called administrative violence, what they're doing here. This is administrative violence. Next quote. This is, look how far they're willing to go. School officials also demanded that her father, the girl who complained, her father, Travis Allen, apologize for a Facebook post challenging the mother of the transgender male slash female over the veracity of a Facebook post she made defending her transgender male slash female son slash daughter. Excuse- Even the goddamn magazine is so afraid of these people that it's writing this gobbledygook. It really did write male slash female and then male slash female son slash daughter. Stop it. Guys, it starts with you. New American, it starts with you. Stop cowering. Stop it. (laughs) So read you a little bit more. Travis Allen and his 14-year-old daughter Blake were punished for expressing their views on a matter of profound public concern, whether a teenage male who identifies as a female should be permitted to change in a girl's locker room regardless of the discomfort experienced by the girls in the room. Um, Also... Defendants, this is the school, seek to coerce her, the girl who complained, to agree with the transgender dogma. In addition to giving Blake two days out of school suspension, defendants are requiring her to take part in a restorative circle, our equity coordinator, and at least two students who can help her understand the rights of the students to access public accommodations in a manner consistent with their gender identity, and they want her to submit a reflective essay. I talked about this Many times before, well, not many times, a couple times before. This is, they want her to write a hostage letter. It's like the hostage letters I had to write when I was put in a glorified orphanage as a teenager, uh, taken out of my home. I had to write letters um, to my mother and to the staff at the orphan area, <laughs> telling them what a bad boy I was, why I was a bad boy, how I understand that I'm a bad boy, um, and that I won't be a bad boy again. Nonsense. Well, the happy news to this is these two people, the father and daughter, hired the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a Christian conservative law firm that has had uh, successes in cases like this. And they filed a lawsuit, and the school immediately backed down because they knew they were treading on thin ice. So um, I'll just leave you the quote. After reviewing the lawsuit, school officials backed down said the Alliance Defending Freedom. Shortly after filing the lawsuit, Counselor for School officials notified ADF attorneys that the superintendent was rescinding the disciplinary actions. This is how it's done. Okay, we're coming up on another break, but I want to remind you, we would love to have your financial support. Will you help us keep this show going, and will you help us grow it? Two ways to do it. Subscribe on patreon.com slash disaffected, or... Did I say Subscribestar or Patreon already? Anyway, I probably already did this and I'm screwing this whole thing up. What I was supposed to tell you is we want you to subscribe on audio because we are putting out audio-only podcasts again. We've got a couple out this week. So go to your favorite podcast platform. Go to Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. You will find us there and we will see you on the other side. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today. Pramila Jayapal, U.S. House Representative Pramila Jayapal. I have sixteen bones to pick with her today. She's constantly sending me email, um, because I'm on everybody's email list. And this one came up yesterday. <clears throat> we'll show you the graphic on the screen here, and it says, "Would student loan debt cancellation help you? Yes or no?" Great big buttons. And here's the text of the email. <laughs> Dear Joshua, recently, President Biden announced an executive action that would cancel up to twenty thousand dollars of federal student loan debt. Borrower. However, this relief has been stalled by lawsuits filed by red states and special interest groups. First things first, there is no such thing as loan cancellation. That doesn't exist. You can't cancel a loan. There's only shifting responsibility. There's only, let's take college student Kate Stat and make Joan, the middle aged part time secretary, pay for it with Joan's tax dollars. That's what this is. This is kids going to college, taking out loans. Then we've all decided that it was terrible that they're saddled with debt. And it's great to make every other taxpayer pick up the bill for them. That's what this is. How is anyone okay with this? How are even the middle aged liberals who are gunning for student loan debt cancellation? Why do you wish to pay the billions of dollars back? Why do you believe it's your personal family's tax responsibility to do that for somebody? Did you take that loan out? Did your kids take that loan out? No. Do you want to pay somebody else's mortgage? Do you want to pay my car payment? I mean, I feel saddled and burdened by debt on my car. Would you like to pay? It's right for you to pay it, right? I shouldn't have to pay it. (laughs) Red states, Special interest groups, these are code words for bad, dirty, contaminated. You know, because only the dirty, contaminated, Nazi Hitler, fascist, bad people would not want to pay somebody else's debt. Like normal, moral people wouldn't have a problem with this. And I suppose that Pramila represents no special interests herself, right? She's just of the people. Are American taxpayers special interest groups? Because there are a lot of taxpayers out there, and I'm one of them who don't want to pay for other people's choices. <laughs> I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna say anything about I've been mulling this for a couple of months, but this I am gonna say something about it now. This affects me not um, in a slightly different way. Back in 2007, there was a bill passed that offered. Loan uh, forgiveness, if you spent 10 years working in the nonprofit sector, in the charitable sector, if you did charitable work for 10 years, the government said as a deal will lift most of your student loan debt up to a certain amount. This is similar to programs that this country and other countries have had uh, for nurses, for civil engineers, uh, for people who've done military service, you know, you, we can argue, disagree on whether or not that was the right decision to make. I'm not entirely sure that it's the best public policy decision, but I think it's more justifiable. I think it's a more straightforward deal than, oh, you just wanted to take out a bunch of loans and now we're going to swoop in and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, that's great. I work for a charity. I work for a nonprofit. Um, th- the conditions were you have to make 10 years of payments. You can't. They all have to be on time. I did that. I signed up. I did everything on time, only to come to find out later that I'm not getting any of that remaining student debt forgiven, even though I've worked for 20 years in the charitable sector. Why? Because unbeknownst to me, and I'm not a stupid person, I'm a guy who reads contracts, I understand fine print, didn't understand this, I consolidated my loans the wrong way. I didn't consolidate them into a specific kind of loan that was owned by the federal government, even though the federal government knows exactly how much I borrowed, and even though they urged me to consolidate to get my interest rate down. So I'm just shit out of luck. I did what I was supposed to do on a limited deal that was directly tied to the fact that I chose to work in the charitable sector, so it was all above board, but I don't get it. I don't get it anymore, and neither do thousands and thousands of other people who took that deal, that above-board deal. That's what's really going on. So there you have it. More back to uh, Jamila here. With the president's action, approximately 20 million people would see their loans fully canceled. God, that drives me crazy. And an additional 23 million would see relief with a portion of their debt canceled. And student loan debt cancellation is a racial justice issue. 90% of black students and 72% of Latino students have loans. Wait a minute. Uh, Pramila, you meant Latinx, didn't you? Pramila, Latinx, right? 72% of Latino students have loans and are more likely than white borrowers to owe more debt 12 years later. Cancelling this debt would mean real progress toward closing the racial wealth gap. I've heard from people across the country who this re- relief would help directly to get married, to buy a home, to have kids or to start a business. Well, you know what, Jamila? I heard on mainstream media this week about some of those people that that would really help to get married. And guess what? They're not doing with that money. They're not getting married and they're not paying off other debts. What are they doing? Self-care, you know, taking trips, travel uh, and stuff, you know, self-care. <laughs> Piss off. Racial justice. Racial justice. How is this a racial justice issue? Because black people don't like paying their loans any more than white people. We're supposed to feel more sorry for the black people and Latino people because it's harder for them to repay loans. It hurts them more to repay loans than it, than it hurts me. Because they're more likely to have later debt than I am on average as a white person. That means it hurts them more than it hurts white people to have burdensome debt. More than poor white students who took out loans, maybe foolishly? Why? If you can't afford groceries, does being hungry, I, I'm sorry, being unfeeded, unfeed, does being unfeeded hurt your tummy more if your skin is darker? Does that make the hunger pangs worse? Yeah, I'm saying stupid shit because what she's saying is stupid shit. Why do we swallow this? Isn't it easy to see through? It's so easy for me, I, I don't understand why. This, it's straight up Marxist agitation, straight up no chaser, that's what it is. Somebody else is responsible, fuck whitey. Fuck that rich, them rich people. Rich white people like me, right? Rich. That's not all Pramila Jayapal's been up to. And this is, to my mind, significantly worse. We're going to talk about House Resolution 1209. When I say House, I mean the U.S. Federal House, not state, federal. House of Representatives, Congress. Pramila Jayapal is one of the most radical politicians that you are ever going to find. She wants to remake this country in fundamental ways and in ways that actually undermine the plain language of the Constitution. And you probably have no idea how deep it goes because you haven't read any of her actual legislation. We're going to do that, except I'm going to correct the record. This isn't legislation. It's a resolution. And this is a point of pedantry. But pedantry is what you get on disaffected. So you're just going to have to take it. (laughs) You take it and like it. (laughs) The media has been reporting on this, quote, bill. Even the publication The Hill, the expert publication about Washington politics, their own reporter called this the bill. It's not a bill. No legislation has been introduced. It's a resolution. A resolution is a declaration of intent. It's a manifesto. It's not actually a piece of law. Thank you for allowing me to say that. Kids these days. So, House Resolution 1209, let's start going through it. Here's the preamble, the justification. Recognizing that it is the duty of the federal government to develop and implement a transgender bill of rights to protect and codify the rights of transgender and non-binary people under the law and ensure their access to medical care, shelter, safety, and economic security. And yes, I'm slipping into mommy tone because we're talking about mommying people. It's the federal government's responsibility to ensure them economic security and, oh, safety.
1: Ugh. Ugh.
0: It's the government's duty to ensure safety and economic security. Huh? Here comes, uh, you get this in resolutions too, let's go through the whereas is. <laughs> Quote, whereas an estimated 1,400,000 transgender adults live in the United States. Really? 1,400,000. How do you know? What does transgender mean? How are you measuring this? Is it measured by surgery? No, no, no. Because that would be oppressive. No, we can't require them to do that. We can't require them to actually trans anything before they get trans rights. So, so it's not surgery. Is it um, maybe self-declaration? I say I'm trans? Is it Harry Potter drag worn by frumpy 20-year-old lesbians with a chip on their shoulder? Is that trans? Is it Ellen Page's fake abdominal muscles? What is transgender? How are you measuring it? Well, they don't have to say because Pramila Jayapal is the sayer, and since she said it, it's true. Notice this whole effort is predicated on making you think that any rules that recognize the reality that there are men and women and that make provisions for them on that basis, that constitutes discrimination based on sex. You're going to see this as we go on. They're, they're really twisting the idea of on the basis of sex. So for example, if you have a bathroom for women, it's discrimination on the basis of sex under Jayapal's model here to deny men entry. That would be to discriminate against men on the basis of their sex. You see how absurd this becomes? Remember how I've talked about the fact that discrimination is not a per se immoral act? Discrimination is not a negative word necessarily. This is the consequence of us forgetting that. Yes, they are using words that make people think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's deliberate. They want to provoke the emotions that liberals have about one of their heroes who is um, deceased Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, This language that, and this person that that liberals and particularly feminists think very fondly of and believe is or was a font of sensible righteousness. They're doing this to game your emotions. Pardon me. They're doing this to distract you. From what they're actually doing, which is an attempt to make it illegal for women and men to have any private spaces on the basis of their sex anywhere at any time. Next, quote, whereas despite these protections... Transgender people still experience discrimination in medical care, employment, housing, education, lending, and other basic necessities, whereas the rights of transgender and non-binary people to seek life-saving, gender-affirming care and counseling is under threat across the nation. Take a look at your screen. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. I had a frog in my throat. Maybe I'll pull it out at the end of the show and show you. (laughs) These people can't even write. They keep inappropriately capitalizing words. The word nation there is not capitalized, not supposed to be capitalized. Thank you, Pet Ann's Corner again. So how do transgender people, who we can't define, how do they experience discrimination in lending and housing? How? Be specific. Where's your evidence? There isn't any. There isn't. Other basic necessities? How are they being discriminated against and prevented from getting other basic necessities? Do, 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 do. Still no answer, right? Okay. Also, no evidence of that. Life saving, gender affirming care. As a reminder, this is the claim that elective mastectomies for mentally troubled girls and women are, quote, life saving. This is the claim that surgery to shave off your big old Neanderthal male brow bone in facial feminization surgery is life-saving. It's life-saving. Are you as tired as I am of all this histrionic emotional inflation? The whereas is keep going. Let's do the next one. Oh no, <laughs> actually you have no idea. I'm giving you a sample. I really encourage you to read House Resolution 1209. It is packed to the gills. There's more than I could put in this segment here. So there's a whole bunch of other whereases that I'm sparing you. Let's get let's get down to the resolutions. Resolved that is that it is the sense of the House of Representatives. They've got a feeling, you know, they just feel a way about it. It is the sense of the House of Representatives that One, it is the duty of the federal government to protect the rights of transgender and non-binary people as outlined in this Transgender Bill of Rights by, A, ensuring transgender and non-binary people have equal access to services and public accommodations that align with their gender identity. You know what that means, right? Access to accommodations that align with their gender identity. If you're a man who thinks he's a woman, you can be anywhere that a woman is because it aligns with your gender identity, because you're the sayer and you said. Next one. By amending the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex including gender identity and sex characteristics in public accommodations and federally funded programs and activities. Here's the result. Sex will be made legally meaningless and unactionable. Gender identity gets smuggled in there, and gender identity, like wokeness is to any philosophy, gender identity is a universal solvent that dissolves all biological sex. Gender identity always wins because it is a solvent. It would be illegal for any school to prohibit men in women's bathrooms and vice versa. It would be illegal for any hospital that takes federal funds to have women-only wards. Totally illegal under this proposal. It would be illegal for any nonprofit rape shelter that takes federal funds to disallow men from living there if they want to serve women, and women overwhelmingly in almost every single case of rape are raped by men. Let's move on. Quote, Expanding the definition of public accommodation to address the full range of places and services that members of the general public utilize. This is where the Marxist stuff comes in. Expanding the definition of public accommodation. Smuggled Marxism. This is the redefinition of private property to become public property that the government gets to dispose of, not the owner. This means that your hair salon that you own, the bakery that you own, the waxing salon that you own, any business at all that you own is not yours. Not really. It's a public accommodation. It's the government's. It'll be defined, all of those businesses will be defined as a public accommodation and you will no longer be able to say no under federal law to any request to make a transgender surgery celebration cake if you're a baker. They really hate that guy in Colorado. That's what they're thinking of right here. You know, they did this with the war on smokers. And yes, I mean the war on smokers. It wasn't a war on smoking. It was a war on smokers. They defined bars as that were owned by private people as public accommodation. When the bar owners tried to get around this by taking it private, making it a private club that you actually had to put a membership application in and pay a fee for, the government just changed the law and said, nope, that's a public accommodation too. There's no such thing as a private club if you're not allowed smoking. Some people listening to this liked that. You know who you are. You liked it because you don't like cigarette smoke. You were fine with it because you don't like the smell of cigarette smoke. You liked it, and you shouted down people who pointed out that it was, in fact, an illegal taking of private property. And do admit it. You liked it because you didn't like cigarette smoke, and you knew that it was okay to socially castigate smokers. You knew that no one would stick up for them. That's why you liked it. It wasn't out of principle. It was out of aesthetic preferences. Well, if that describes you, you like this now, right? You like Jayapal's proposal? You should. You should. <laughs> a couple more. I'm already going over time a little bit here. Next part of the resolution. Explicitly car- clarifying that it is illegal to discriminate on the basis of sex, including gender identity or sex characteristics in public accommodations and services on religious grounds. Whoa, Nellie, did you catch that? They're trying to reach into protected First Amendment rights to religious expression. They're And they're doing this by defining any place or any business except an actual church as a, quote, public accommodation that is not subject to you exercising your religious sentiment and religious choice. I'm not a religious person, but I'm a believer in constitutional rights. If you don't, if you're a Christian baker and you don't want to bake a cake for my gay wedding, you shouldn't have to. I wouldn't even think of trying to force you to do so. I'd be ashamed of myself for behaving that way. Uh, I can't do all the rest here, so I'm just going to pick out the, the most important here before I wrap up and let you guys go for the week. I, this There's so much in here. Quote, guarantees students rights to participate in sports on teams that best align with their gender identity and use school facilities that best align with their gender identity. So when she writes a bill, they're going to make it illegal for you to prevent boys, teenage boys, from playing on girls' sports teams, and it will be against federal law to keep them out of girls' locker rooms. You think this is a problem in the states? Now, wait till the feds get a hold of it. Quote, Eliminating unnecessary governmental restrictions on the provision of and access to gender affirming medical care and counseling for transgender and non binary adults, adolescents, and children. Translation into plain English. No state should be able to stop surgeons from mutilating children. That's a violation. It's unnecessary and a barrier, so we're gonna stop it. Remember, break all barriers, get rid of all boundaries. There is so much more. These people want to give they want to give people the right to demand that the State Department change a person's sex-based identification on a passport simply based on that person's self-declaration and command. Unbelievable. There's more for it. Maybe I'll put some in the notes. Um, This is what's going on, folks. And that's the show this week. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today.